Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Parshat Vayelech. Let's in do case, this. for the people who are listening to the podcast, you list you missed me listing out my my worst ritual experiences of all time. So um, it's it's like a deleted it's like a deleted scene. It's like a so join us on scene. Zoom. <laughs> it's like a deleted scene from. Uh, they don't really do deleted scenes anymore because it's everything. Okay, streaming. I think we can start. Um, before we start, Rabbi Shots. Oh, yes. Um, should we t- should we tell the people what we're doing in two weeks? Yeah. Do you know Do you know what we're doing in two weeks? I no. <laughs> I think we're gonna try. We're gonna try to do an in person CM, right? Oh yeah. We're, we're gonna try to make that happen. So for those of you who are in and around the nine double zero three five, um. And want to try to join us on campus here. We're gonna try to carve us a, a space out somewhere. Stay stay tuned on the space, but we're gonna we'll we'll still zoom it and we'll still record it. Uh, but if folks wanna wanna try to join us in person for a for a hooray we did it and uh, maybe a little time for having made it made it all the way through these crazy books, uh, we try to make that happen. Right, Rabbi Shots? Yeah, great. Did you know that before I said that? I knew that we were, do- I just okay. didn't know that we were, that, that there were plans in place, but I knew that we were going to try to do it. So it's great. Well, we were talking about it. I think those are, that, that, I think for us, I think that officially counts as plans. Okay. Yeah. Should we talk about the Parsha? Yeah, I'm very ready. Oh, oh you even shared your screen ahead of me. I thought I shared my screen. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to start getting oh. going. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm very excited about these. Ver- I'm very excited about these verses. It's been a while. I felt like we've been kind of scrounging the the bottom of the bum- uh, the Bamid Bar barrel. Wow, I forgot what book we're in. Of the Dvarim ba- barrel, Dvarim barrel. There we go for a little while now. But I was I was very excited about these. Uh, usually, I think Gravishat mentioned this last week. Usually, it's Misavim Vayelach. Usually, it's a double parsha. Um, we have the joy and the pleasure of having Vayelech Stam this week, and how exciting that is. Okay, uh, Moses still giving his monologue. We're about to wrap things up, in case folks didn't know. Uh, Moses went and spoke. He said, I'm now 120 years old. 120 years old. That sounds, that's, that's a long, that's, an, that's quite an age to be schlepping through the desert. Uh, I can't do this anymore. God has said, you shall not go across the Jordan. God will cross over before you. He will wipe out these other nations. Joshua is the one who shall cross before you. Again, we're we're getting getting a little repetitive here in the the Dvarim uh, oratory. God will wipe them out. God will deliver them to you. And then uh, this phrase that actually pops up a lot in this parsha, specifically both to Joshua um, as an individual and also to the people. He says, you should be str- translated. You should like be strong and resolute. Um, don't be afraid. God is with you. He will not fail you. And then we get sort of this individual conversation between Moses and Joshua in front of everyone. And you see that phrase again, be strong and resolute because you are going to lead them. God will go before you. Uh, do not be afraid. 
and now we're going to get, um, we're moving more specifically into the verses that we're going to look at. Verse 9, which is not something we're specifically looking at, but is the direct lead-in. Moses wrote down this teaching and gave it to the Kohanim, um, who were the ones who carried the ark, and also to all the elders of Israel. And now here's what we're going to really dive into today. So this is chapter 31 of Devarim, verses 10, 11, 12. Rabbi Schatz, just triple checking. Those are the verses you prepared too, right? Oh, we are clicking on all cylinders here. As we start 5782, we mourned Gedalia, we had two days of holiday, and we are we are rocking and rolling. Okay. Right, Rabbi Schatz? Yeah. Who can who else can feel Rabbi Schatz's excitement and, and vigor as we're heading into Shabbat? I can. I can feel the excitement all the way here from the other side of the third floor at Temple Bethan. Okay. Verse 10. From the assistant rabbi's office. From Wait a minute. That's my uh, whose office am I in? Oh, right, oh that's right. Because I'm in the associate rabbi's office. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go. All right. No. All right. Okay. Vaitzav Moshe Otamli Mor. Moses commanded them, saying, "Miket Sheva Shanim." At the end of seven years, Bemoed Shnat Hashmita Bechag Hasukot. In the Shmita year, uh, on the occasion of the Feast of Booths, as it's translated, or as you might know it, Sukkot, or okay. some might call it, that's right, Sukkot, very good. Beat me to it, as usual. Okay. When, it, when all of Israel comes to appear before, um, I mean, it says, but like before Adonai your God, I mean, at, at Penei means like literally before the face of Adonai your God. Bamakom Asherivchar in the place that God will pick, God will choose. Tikra et haTorah hazot. Read this entire Torah, neged kol Yisrael beOzneihem, in front of the presence of all of Israel. <laughs> Into, into their ears. Read it. Read it right into their ears. Hakel et ha, uh, hakel et ha'am. Gather up all of people. Ha'anashim ve'hanashim ve'hataf. The men and the women and the children. Ve'gercha asher visharecha. And the strangers in literally in your gate. Strangers in your communities. Lema'an yishme'u u'lema'an yilmedu so that they should hear it, and so that they should learn it. Ve'yaru et Adonai Eloichem, and so that they should have awe slash fear of the Lord your God. Ve'shamru la'asot, and they should observe, they should, it says to observe it faithfully, to protect it, and to do it, at kol divrei ha-Torah hazot. All of the words, all of the matters of this Torah. I have a lot to say about this, but I'm going to pause here because I don't want to, I don't want to preempt anybody's uh, wonderful kushiot. And with that, I will turn it over to the most multitaskable rabbi, Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. I left out your middle name. That was my New Year's gift to you. Thank you. Yes, Karen. 
Where did he write this? Where um, did he, what do you mean? says he wrote down the, and Moses instructed them, no, mm-hmm. no, up a little bit further, didn't he say, wrote, that he wrote this out for them? Well, we're, we, we said, I, I, yeah. Yeah, you're asking on nine. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on nine. I'm you're sorry. on nine. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But watch yourself, McCoy. The The answer is we're probably talking here about the Torah, right? He wrote it. Yeah. And so what we're referring to is is the Torah, um, which, you know, some people would refer to as the tablets that we that we received before. But it's possible there's also something different, that it's an and actual. And are the tablets that Moshe brought. And that one these is, are, and okay. one is. Um, that these are, that this is something the completely different than the tablets, that this is actually a scroll like the one that we have in our, in our arc that we read from. So a scroll was writable at this time on parchment. Well, I, we don't know when this time is, right? Because depending, depending on what people's uh, belief in Torah writing is, some people believe that Moshe wrote the whole Torah. Some people believe God wrote the whole Torah. Some people believe that humans wrote the whole Torah. And so, maybe <laughs> right it's unclear to us but it does seem that moshe wrote this piece down and whether or not that's referring back to a time when he wrote things down on on the tablets or if it's its own thing right its own entity is is unknown to us uh elon and then renee yeah um to me the most interesting thing is in verse 12 where it says gather the people typically the people would refer to the men, but actually uh, this is so important that it's not the men, women, children, and the strangers, right? So it's, it's truly everybody. And I think that's, that's interesting. And I'm curious as to if there is uh, some kind of a rabbinic explanation for that. Yeah, there's lots of rabbinic explanation for that. And that's, that was the piece that I was also most interested in. There's actually a um, festival in Israel called Hakel, um, which I went to when we were, when I was, um, living in Israel. And it is a, an opportunity for people to come together and do Torah study. It's kind of like a conference. It's one day. I think it's only one day. We only went for one day. I think it is only, only that day though. And it's like a festival of learning. Um, and it does exactly this. It brings together people of all ages to be able to, uh, and people who are Jewish, not Jewish, and to be able to learn Torah in all different kinds of ways. So there's, there's traditional text study, there was music, um, there were kind of more experiential type learning around, you know, doing things that also that also brought some learning into your um, into your heart. So that it, it, we definitely will get into the rabbinic pieces. And also, I think this this line itself has permeated into also how we want to be learning Torah all the time and to who and, and how. So you're picking up on a, a very interesting piece. Um, Renee. Okay. So I'm a little all scattered all over the place, but um, the, the seventh year, is that considered the Shemitah year? Okay. Oh, so, you're asking. Yes. Yeah. And then <laughs> I um, thought you were making a statement. Yeah. No, I was just asking. And then what is the year that's set for remission? What does that mean? What is that? And why, uh, I'm assuming the Feast of Booth is Sukkot, why Sukkot and not any other holiday? Oh, I have a great, oh, I have a great, oh, I have a very good piece on this. Renee. Right, there you go. 
Oh, you and you and the Clea car, Renee. As always, you and the Clea car are on the same page. I don't Go know if you it. usually are, but you are today. I'm gonna say I'm gonna we're gonna clear the kushi out, but I, I got I got a I got a good one cooking for you, Renee. All right. Okay, Rebecca. Um, my question is sort of a follow-up to Renee's, and that is why only once every seven years? If it's just something that should be done regularly, then why not once a year? <laughs> Great. Great, yeah. Um, I, I think that Raj Bureau seems to be, will be going into that, so I will just let that stand as a kushia. Uh, Denise? So, um, my first thing that popped into my head was, oh, this is the Shemitah year. Are we going to do this? And then I wondered, does anybody do this or did they ever do this? Or is this just something that's because I never like I never heard of it, Um, which doesn't mean that it never happens. But I'm sort of assuming that that means it's not like hugely known. Um, So I'm just curious, like, why? Are you talking about doing Shemitah or doing this kind no, of... No, it says like during the Shemitah, every seventh year during Sukkot, we're supposed to gather everybody and learn something. Right. Whatever this teaching is. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't remember ever, you know, seven years ago or seven years before that, or I don't remember anything where people like were, oh my God, it's Shemitah, Sukkot, we got to do this. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's a good point. And now that you're making that point, actually, I wonder if Hakel happened while I was there because it was a Shemitah year. I wonder if they actually don't do it every year. I wonder if they just do it on Shemitah years, which would be really interesting. Um, we can definitely think about it. I mean, I think that we, you know, we as a community are taking the idea of Hakel, you know, to a, to a great level all the time. And we're trying to, we're trying to bring people together to learn, but um, I'm sure that together with our director of YLE uh, that we could think about maybe there is a way to have some kind of learning uh, for everybody to do around, around the time of Sukkot, probably not on Sukkot, but around the time of Sukkot, um, in in order to do this kind of hot hell experience together, and it's a beautiful. That's you, that's you right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that you know, in terms of shemitah in our own community, it's a it's an interesting. You know, we are launching this year of a shemitah year, and and focusing more on making our community green, both at the at the like institutional level and also the communal level, and. Um, and that Shemitah is typically something that is only observed in Israel, right? So we also have this flexibility of it being something that we we are trying to take on as um, as a really meaningful part of our of our calendar and a meaningful part of our tradition. And um, we have some flexibility around it because it's not happening in we're not in the country where it actually is mandated to happen. So. It's a great idea, and uh, Rabbi Shapiro, I'm sure, will have some ideas to share with me as to how we can put something together called Hakel. Okay, he's saying he does. Great. Um, other kushiot. How do you indicate a sarcastic thumbs up? <laughs> I think you already did. Any other kushiot? Okay. Uh, all right, Rabbi Shapiro, you want to go straight into that teaching since it'll answer the, the question at hand? You have to unmute. Sure. Um, I will just say, I didn't, I didn't get too far into this. Maybe Rabbi Shat saw it more, but per Rashi, for, for whatever reason, and he cites out of the Talmud, that 
um, he says this happens actually in the first year of the new Shemitah period. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to get that out of verse 10, but I generally trust Rashi on these things. Um, yeah. But Rashi says it's actually in like the first. So it would technically be like next fall, which is not just my way of avoiding Rabbi Shots putting me on the spot to generate a program in, in six days. Um, but but um, I can I can maybe scramble to look more at that um, before our time is up. Um, but okay, so the question was asked about like why why Shmita and why Sukkot. Um, this is part of a much a much longer piece, but the short answer per the Kliakars is sort of twofold. He says. The reason for this being at the end of seven years, so at the end of the seven-year period, is because the seventh year causes assembly and peace because we don't plant on the land. Like there is something specific about the Shemitah year that brings about more gathering and peace together since, and this is very interesting, since all this agreement are from the perspective of what's mine is mine and someone else is saying, no, that's mine. So this is just such an interesting piece that he's saying that the way our system is set up usually, because we're each claiming what is individually ours, leads to disagreement and conflict. And so if we're going to go out of our way to set up a specific time to gather all together, it's good to do that after a Shemitah year. Because we'll have just had a full year where that isn't happening. And then then in terms of the question of Sukkot, he then he then sort of continues this line of, of thinking. He says, so too with Sukkot, when everyone goes out from a permanent dwelling to a temporary dwelling. Mm. That because we each leave where we usually live and we're all sort of on the same level playing field of living in a temporary dwelling, of being in a Sukkah. So all of that leads to making this kind of gathering possible. So A, I love, I, I, I love how those two pieces build on each other. I love the idea. I love how he sort of gets at the sort of underlying idea of what Hakel, this, this sort of unique gathering, which by the way, as a side note, this, this very much falls in the category of like verses that have always been in the Torah that I have not particularly looked at particularly closely before. And I think offer some really interesting stuff to think about. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to be exploring these. Um, but I love that one, two kind of thematic punch of having a Shemitah brings people into closer connection with each other because of what it entails. And Sukkot Davka pushes that just sort of one step further. So Renee, Rebecca, I don't know if if you were thinking along those lines. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I but I definitely think it's it's uh, like an interesting an interesting one two punch in terms of how he sets that up. So I'll I'll pause there. I'm inter- interested to hear what other folks think on that or not. And the Clea car perfectly answered everything. I'm still not sure I get it. You're basically saying that that at that time. Because it's Shmita, because it's Sukkot, there's sort of the peace of mind to sit back and study this together um, without other, without having to rush and plow the land or whatever would be the next thing to do. 
right that there that there's an underlying principle in ha- in this concept of hakel that we're supposed to really all be joining together in this and because of what we've exper- experienced over experienced in a shmita year because of what we've all experienced in a shmita year it has brought uh paula she was saying that we're, we're sort of going back and forth to, un- to unpack this right that that there's something uniquely in Shmita that brings us closer together. And there's something about the experience of Sukkot that both brings us closer together and sort of opens us up to experiencing this, like uh, the sense of togetherness that much more, which is not, which is certainly not literally in, in the verses, right? The verses just sort of give the context for it, that it should be in this time in the Shemitah cycle. And it should be at this specifically on Sukkot, which prompted the questions of, well, why Shemitah and why Sukkot? And the Kliakar is saying, because the experience of that time in the agricultural cycle and the experience of that holiday open us up to a different kind of, of connection with each other and a different type of experience of community, um, which regardless of how you do or don't keep Shemitah and or Sukkot, I think indicates something really beautiful around trying to see all of right everyone around us is equals trying to connect with that idea idea of impermanence and gratitude which then makes it that much more likely that we can all like come together this i really like how how he sort of brings those pieces together i think it's really lovely it's also pushing you out of your home already right like it's our it's the the sukkot is one of those times where you are being told to not not stay where you are but actually go outside of both your comfort zone physically, but also, um, you know, just the general comfort of, of what, uh, what home means, right. In terms of like in Los Angeles, that means air conditioning. (laughs) That means, um, you know, potentially like a comfier seat than what you would find in a sucker or something like that. Right. No bugs like that, that, um, those kinds of things when you're then put outside is a very different experience. And now obviously we all choose to go outside at different times and outside is also beautiful, but I think that there is an element here of you are being told to gather maybe in a way that you are not sure whether or not it's going to be comfortable, but you're being told to gather because there's something prominent that's going to come out of the experience. And so too with Sukkot at the end of these high holidays, that's the idea of kind of going into the year with Sukkot um, as the last experience yeah. before you do that. Uh, jo- Joanne, I see your hand. I just want to layer one piece on top of that as well, which is that there, there's a way in which Shemitah also pulls us out of our homes, right? Like yeah, not, totally. not, not literally, of course, but in terms of the home is the idea of a structure that we set up to protect ourselves in a way that yeah. is known and sort of like that we can go to and that feels safe, right? We were right. talking about this a little bit and when I was um, teaching on day one of, of Rosh Hashanah, this idea that like there, there's a lot to surrender in a Shemitah year, so much so that we've actually had to set up a lot of workarounds for it to keep society functioning. Yeah. But the idea of like just letting land grow for a full year and then it really even goes into the eighth year as well, because you haven't done, done any agricultural work on it for the whole year leading into that. That's a real process of surrender and letting go and having some faith, right? You are, you are really letting go of some, some pretty core important structures for how to sustain ourselves. I mean, it's particularly if you're talking about like an agricultural, right, an agrarian society, in the ancient Near East, right? That that's a that's a big leap of faith. Um, yeah. So so there is 
a faith piece to that. And then also like a real community building piece to that, that I think, that I think is part of what he's talking about here too. Yeah. Joanna. There's been this trend in Toronto and I know from friends in New York and I imagine all over, perhaps you've seen this in LA too, where um, people are super glamorizing their suit coat. Like they're making them into these incredible, you know, halakhically they fit, you know, it's still technically a sukkah, but like they're these super glamorous structures with like they, you people rent furniture, like comfortable. So, and I just, I sometimes wonder like, is that taking us away from the essence of the holiday? Like technically we might be fulfilling the letter of the law, but in terms of like this equalization and what like the sukkah represents, I sometimes wonder as like fabulous as it is and as sometimes inspired as I am to see like the creativity and the artistry in it, are we losing something in going in that direction? It's like, I, uh, it's, it's like the sukkot version of clamping. So I, it's so interesting that you, that you pointed that out because I think that there's the opposite of that, which um, Rabbi Aaron Alexander is one of these people that makes his sukkah, I wouldn't say glamorous, but just makes it comfortable, makes it his office, makes it his place of study, makes it the place where he's going to spend all of his time um, for the days of Sukkot. And so he brings out his favorite chair and he has a rug and he brings out, you know, his it's his if any of you are friends with him on Facebook, you'll see this happen um, right after Yom Kippur. He really starts to um, to create a home in his sukkah uh, because that's where he's going to spend all of his time. And he takes takes that very seriously, that it should become like your home. So I think that there are two sides to that, right? Like, again, I don't think that he would call it glamorous, but there are pieces of making your sukkah comfortable so that you can spend all that kind of time in it and knowing that there is something really really powerful about kind of living in that discomfort for a week knowing that there that's the fragility of life that we don't always get to create um the comforts that we wish to have and and I think even he would say, you know, it's it, it's comfortable, but it's definitely not as comfortable as in his home or in his actual office or whatever. But being able to to create to create home and create space and create um, really sanctity in a sukkah is also something that people find to be um, quite a mitzvah, right? And and something that you're supposed to you're supposed to make it at least beautiful, um, if not also comfortable. Um, Rabbi Shapiro, was there something else on this particular topic that you had? I don't have anything on this topic, so. No, I just thought that piece was particularly groovy and, and responded directly to, to some of the kushiot. So you mentioned yeah. stuff on the, the like men, 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 women, and children stuff. Do you want to, do you want to hop over that? Yeah, sure. So let me just, uh. okay. So I, there are a few different commentators here who I thought, did a very interesting thing. Most commentators kind of make a comment and then move move on. Um, and a few of these commentators are using the same verse and making separate comments. Um, and and I don't know that, and I didn't have time to go into whether this was intentional, right? That like one was going to be answering specifically about men, and then the second one was going to be specifically about answering for women, and whether that 
separation was important to them or if it was just kind of the way that things were published. I, I don't know, but I found it I found it particularly interesting because commentaries are not always written this um, compartmentalized. So Rashi starts off by saying, very simply, there are much many more English words here than there are Hebrew words. It just says Ha'anashim Lilmod. So the men, why were the men asked to gather? To learn. And then Rashi goes on to say, Vihanashim Lishmoa. And the women were there to hear. Now, the way that it's translated in English is in order to listen to the words of the law. Well, sure, that is that is what they were potentially listening to, but I love the idea that men were kind of just there for the, what we would call tachlis, right? Like just get the learning in, whereas the women were supposed to be really taking it in um, and hearing it. So then they could apply it. Um, that's, that's my, that's my Rashi on it. But, um, and then Rashi goes, Ilan, I see you just one second. And then Rashi goes on to say the hatap and the kids, Lamaba, why, why were they told to come? Latet sachar lim v'ehem. So that comes from Chagiga. That's what comes from a part of the Talmud. But it says, why did they come? Um, to, to latet sachar, to, to, to be given a reward, um, because for the ones who actually bring them there, right? So why are the kids being brought? So I didn't, li- I didn't like that. So the parents get a reward for bringing them. I didn't like that. I actually that. really like it because nope. I think, yeah, because I think nope. similarly to to like Rosh Hashanah services, right? Where when I was outside, there were all different generations. Now, none of those children said, can I go to shul? I can promise you. None of them woke up in the morning and said, I'm really excited to be the one in this family that drags my family to shul. However, uh, maybe your programs, not to like my sermon. So I can promise you 150%. That's, no that, kid. That's no true. Kid I am asked, sure. I'm sure lots of adults did rabbi shots, but I think no, you're right. I think it's probably true that no. no Rafi, asked, Rafi was asking for you. Well, there you go. No kid was asking to be in person for a service. Maybe for a family program, but definitely not a, a formal service. Just and so too, so too with learning, I don't think the kids often are the ones who are kind of the, the pursuer in that. It's the parents, but the parents, if they don't do that, are not giving their kids that, that opportunity or that accessibility. So the parents, similar to kids in a classroom, when they do things well, they should be rewarded. The parents should be rewarded for bringing their kids because now the, the kids also have that exposure and the kids have that opportunity. You don't have to like it, but I think do I'm right. Do you have Eben Ezra on there too? Do you? Yeah. Yes, it's right there. I just oh, are you going to are you gonna do that next? Yes, I like, I'm calling on Elon first. I like his reasoning much better. I'm just Okay, saying. hold on. So I actually think that you give Rashi way too much of the benefit of the doubt here. In fact, I find that his differentiation specifically between men and women is offensive, which is, I, I think, if you ask Rashi what, he's, what he meant, and you, you, you've put a, a 21st century interpretation on it. What he meant is the men, because they're going to learn it, women, they'll listen to it, right? So they, that, that they actually don't have the capacity to learn, and they're just going to listen to it. And I, 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 you've yeah. put a, a feminist spin on it, but that, which, which I think is a better spin, but I don't think that was Rashi's intention. Agreed. 
I'm sure I'm sure you're right. I I wasn't bringing I wasn't actually bringing this piece to say that I agree. Um, I was bringing it more to to show the the differences as to to why the different categories of people were brought. Um, the reason I gave it a spin was because I think that you are probably correct. So Ibn Ezra here um, says that so that they may hear and that they may learn. It actually doesn't have the the Dibaramat Hill here, but okay. Um, when they hear, they will ask. And he who is not wise and the children who are who are young will learn, right? So I think that this is this is like the educational, you know, response to this, that if you're there, they're going to hear what's going on and they're going to ask questions. And that even if they're not able to really understand what's going on, they're still going to take something in, right? They're still going to, by osmosis, get something out of the experience. It's part of the reason why parents bring kids to shul, right? Are they getting everything out of each moment of Sure, absolutely not. Even if the rabbi is doing a really great job of trying to make it something that is accessible for all ages, they're definitely not getting everything out of the whole service. So it's much of it is just by exposure and then hopefully the asking of questions, right? Just like on Passover, we do all this stuff, not so that we can um, say that we know how to do it, but so that there are questions asked and answers given. Um, I like, so, that, right, one much, I like, like that much better. Yeah, it is much better. That's what I said when I introduced it. Um, uh, I'm, agree- I'm, says, a, I'm agreeing. With, can I agree with you once in a while? You can. Yeah. It's very hard for you to cut me off, though, on Zoom. Oh. Um, Denise said maybe it's a variation of Nasev and Ishma. A hundred percent. I think that's exactly what this is. It's just showing us. It's breaking it down, right? It's breaking down the idea of Nasev and Ishma to be something that you're doing it for these reasons, not just here, do this, but here are the reasons as to why you would do it. Uh, Karen. Just getting back to a point you said about, I just, I was happy the kids were in the building. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with Rabbi Shapiro. Yeah. No, this, my kids are 31 already, but. Oh, 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 that, those kids. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I thought you meant this past high holidays. Yeah. No, no, no. But uh, what I'm saying is that to be, when they were young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. They weren't necessarily sitting in services, but. I was glad they were there, just even there. Yeah. I mean, we talk all the time about how, you know, in a normal world, when when Beitani was in Pilch, right, that, that there are so many kids kind of just like out in the lobby. Well, they're hearing something, right? They're they're around, they're actual, they're seeing their friends, they know that this is Shabbat. But I think I think you're right. Like just getting them in the vicinity of what's going on is really important. Um and I think that that's there is an element of that that we're seeing right now, right? The fact that there is an option on the field, whether it's for a family service or for a regular service where kids can just be, even if they're not paying attention is amazing. Um, both for and the people the, on the, and then they have memories of that. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. It's a, yeah. I'm going to do one more piece on this from Sforno because he also breaks it down and then I'm happy to go back to Rabbi Shapiro. So Sforno says, um, this I really didn't like, um, but, but you can just see that, that there's something, there's something here about the breakdown. It actually doesn't say men at all. So that's just the English translation of it. But in order that the people who were wise in the congregation could understand what was going on, right? Leman Yishme'u, that they would, um, that they would then hear, hear it so that they would understand it. That's where the Nasev and Yishma piece comes in, right? The hearing is the understanding 
understanding. Again, it doesn't say men, the translation in English says men. Um, so it's not breaking it down that way. But then Sporno does say, um, yilmedu, I think is, well, okay. Um, so that the people who might not know or who, who haven't learned can then learn from it, right? That you brought these people forward because you wanted them to hear so that they could understand even more. And you brought them so that they could learn because they might not have learned yet. I don't love this piece because I think it's it has like an action item associated with it. Whereas to Karen's point, I like the idea of people just showing up and being there and getting something out of it. But I did want you to see that the that the way that that Sforno at least is differentiating between hearing and learning is for the understanding piece and for kind of the um the what's the English word like the the depth of um of the learning that would be that would be going into this what what i like about that is that it takes it out of the realm of but but i i I, I mean i'm not gonna break it all down but there was actually a good amount of like practical how-tos of like what this actually looked like like it seemed like this was something that really really happened yeah um where like the king would read the Torah to the people every, like right. once every seven years, which is right, right, right. Which is like fascinating to sort of visualize. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what I like about this is that it takes it out of the purely like one person sort of putting it out there, and everyone just needs to get whatever they can get. Because like the verse says, "Laman Yishmu and Laman Tilmadusa." Like, why both of those verbs? Well, there are some people who can really hear it, right? There are some people who like they they listen to it and they just get it. Yeah. And for some people, they still really need to learn it. And it takes it out of just like, well, the king reads it and you get whatever you get. Some yep. people can hear it and some people, well, they can like learn it from that experience and also from the people who are, you know, who, who are able to explain it that much further. To yeah. them. So that, yeah. that communal piece, I actually like a lot. Yeah, that's fine. Um, okay, you want to, do you have other things? I, I mean, I have more. Oh, I've got know. a lot. I mean, hello, I got lots of things. Right, so you can, you can take it home. So do, we say. Do you have, do you have lots of things? I do, but uh, you can go. Well, I don't want to monopolize all the things. How about I'll Go's do Shapiro. one thing. I'll do one and a half things and you can do however many things from there. Okay. Do you want me to do two and a half things? Nope. I just want you to go. Okay. I have a chance. <laughs> it's lovely to share this time with you. Okay. Um, one piece I just want to call attention to. I mean, I, I, I don't have like a ton to say on it per se. Um, I, I just really appreciate and think it's interesting that the verse, first of all, breaks down the categories of people generally and, but says men and women and children yeah. and the stranger in your midst. Right. I, I just really like, we've we've talked about this. This has been, I think, one of the threads that has woven through our time together this year. Year! Um, Is, you know, who's included, who's excluded. And this is actually a very inclusive verse, a very inclusive ceremony, even. Like, this is a ritual thing that you're supposed to do in which pretty much every category of person is included, not just implicitly, but explicitly, right? What Whoever you are, this is for you. Um, and we don't necessarily get that in religion in general. We certainly don't always get that in, in the Torah in terms of how things are framed. So I just like, yeah. I, I, I just, 
you know, I, I just appreciate that that's in there. Um, I saw an interesting line out of uh, out of Rambam in, in Moran Nevuchim, God for the Perplexed, because he's he's talking about you know why why it is that this is happening, um, and I think it. Um, resonated particularly strongly with me coming out of the experience of Rosh Hashanah, which like regardless of whatever was or wasn't happening on campus and the protocols we needed to follow in different services and programs and this, that, and the other thing, it was just so good to see people, man. Like that was great. Like I know some folks aren't comfortable coming yet. Some people want to stay. I, and I totally respect and get that. Uh, I, I, I had to be there. It's part of my job. Uh, but I, in addition to like the sense that, well, I'm, I'm there. Um, I wasn't, I didn't know, we didn't know how many people would actually come, right? Because you didn't have to sign up for specific services. So we were like, well, we got 200 people on campus. Well, we got 500 people on campus. We really had no idea. And people really came. Um, and it just felt so good to see people. I'm an extrovert, which I know shocks people to hear. Um, but I, I really am in, in the classical definition of that, like the, like the classical defini- definition of an extrovert isn't just someone who's, who's hyperactive and loud necessarily. Um, but, but someone who really gets their energy from being around other people. And that's very much, um, a big part of how I operate, which is one of the many, uh, things that has made the past year and a half challenging for me. So just to be around a large number of other people, so many of whom I already know and care about and love spending time with, uh, that was great. And all of that is a preamble to just this one, <laughs> this one line out of Moran Nebuchim, um, where he says, the, u- the use of keeping festivals is plain. It's very simple why we do this. Man derives benefit from such assemblies. The emotions produced renew the attachment to religion. They lead to friendly and social interactions among the people, which you don't necessarily always see this stance out of Rambam. It's really like a sociological approach to religion out of this like work of medieval religious religious philosophy. Where he said, "What? Why do we do this? Because when you're there, it helps you feel connected to and attached to this religious tradition." Right. It's not just because God says so. It's not just because you keep the meat's vote. There's actually an internal experience that you have when you keep these chagim, when you show up for these observances, that helps you feel connected. And and there's value in that. And and there's something really, really um vital in that, which I, I just thought, I mean, I think first of all, yes, right? That's very, that's very much what I experienced this week. Um, and I love that Rambam saying it, right? I love that he was saying this a thousand years ago. He knew that part of the reason we do this, if not the primary reason that we do this, is because when we gather together, we feel connected to our tradition and we feel connected to each other, right? Pretty straightforward, actually. Um, and really sort of like this ceremony in terms of making a point to emphasize all the categories of people and saying that there's something happening this year and over this holiday that helps us feel connected to each other. Um, I just, I, I really appreciated that teaching. It was like, yeah, man. Yeah. Rambam, you know, what's up. And he would say, you're right, Shapiro. I do. I do know what's up. Said the Rambam to Matt Shapiro. Right. Right by chance.
Is that what he said? Yeah, I think my piece actually has a little bit to do with that. So I'm going to just do it right after. And then I shouldn't continue the imaginary dialogue between me and Rambam. No. And then if people have comments, they can share them after. It's a good dialogue. We're having a great. So this is, I'm sure it's great. So this is from, I just tried to look up who this is. I can't actually find it. Do you know who Chovot Halevavot is? Sure do. Oh, who is it? It's Rabbeinu Bakhya that his book is Chovos Vavos. Oh, really? I thought yeah. I could find the book. I was going to have a whole Google oh. aid thing. I'm walking That's around so my funny. office trying it, to find it. I could not figure out who wrote it. Okay. So, so Rabbeinu Bakhya says... Or if you prefer, Chovos Halvavos. That's what Denise just said. You missed it. So, um... I was too busy looking so, for the book. So, um, so Denise... Thank you for telling us this, Rabbeinu Bachia. So Rabbeinu Bachia says, it sometimes also happens that an individual falls short in some duties and exceeds in others, right? We all have our, our skill sets and we all have the things that we need to still work on. The intellectual stimulus varies in different individuals in accordance with their capacity of recognition. I think a modern way of saying this is we all learn differently. <laughs> and therefore, sometimes we're going to take in uh, we're going to, you know, have different intellectual abilities based on how uh, information is being given to us. But the urge of the Torah is not subject to variation. Its form is the same for the child, the youth, one advanced in age, uh, in years, sorry, and the old man, the wise and the foolish, even though the resulting practice varies in different classes of individuals. And so Torah says, in regard to to the all-encompassing character of the instruction of the Torah for all the people, gather the people together, men and women and children, and the stranger that is within your gates. Further, it is said later on in Deuteronomy, you shall read this law before all of Israel in their hearing, right? The idea that that you would act, that actually comes right before, it's the line right before, So, but he just put it out of order, that, that you would be hearing these, these laws and that you would be coming to a place of learning in whichever way is best for you, but that Torah is accessible to all of these different ages, that this is, that there is something beautiful about being able to put Torah in front of anybody at any age and allowing them to get something out of it. The intellect might vary, right? The the ability to understand it might be different, but there's always something that can be that can come out of it. And I would take Rabbeinu Bachia's piece one step further and say, I don't think it's just that they would get something out of it that would be different, but that if you're sitting with a child learning about a Torah portion as an adult, you are definitely going to learn from their perspective on that Torah portion, something that you would have never recognized. So bringing all of these different generations together to learn one specific piece of Torah at this Hakel moment is really, uh, it's, it's good for everybody, right? Everybody gets a little something out of it. And in community, you're hopefully then talking about the different things you're getting out of it and learning from those different perspectives and different um, life experiences and therefore point of views, um, points of view, I should say. So that I just wanted to add kind of uh, to the heel of what Rabbi Shapiro was sharing. I wanted to add that on. Yeah, I, I didn't find the book, but I did find a hat. Great. Um, I yeah, I think that's love. I mean, it's it's an interesting counterpoint, Rabbi Schatz, to what you often talk about how we all learn differently, and it's sort of the flip side of it, right? That like 
we all learn differently. And there's also then like the importance of all having the shared something that we're learning from, because that's actually what binds us together, right? That's, that's the, the unifying piece to all this, which actually connects back a bit to my Rosh Hashanah sermon. I believe Mine. that things can evolve over time. And yet there's still a core, something that keeps us all, that keeps us all together, um, which is, which is really important to remember. Um, so with that, I don't know, Rabbi Schatz, do you have a, do you have a bow? I, I might. No, I just think that this is a this is a lovely piece that that reminds us that in community there are many different people at many different stages and many different ages and many different abilities and many different experiences and that the idea is that we all come together because if we were to all be the same or just have kids or just have adults um, in community, we wouldn't actually gain from our community that which um, we should when we are studying Torah together. So that would be the goal I would share. I'll, I'll, I'll just conclude because people at home can't see Rebecca shared the, uh, the always reliable source. Wikipedia says that Hakel was renewed in 1945 at the Kotel. And since then every seven years, um, which makes sense in terms of it's then not, the Shemitah year, but the year after the Shemitah year. So um, exploring the Parsha class trip to the Kotel fall of next year. Who's in? Oh, oh yeah, there we go. Okay, let's go. Forget Seum. Rabbi in. Shapiro and class Rabbi Shapiro. trip, let's go. Temple Betham on a trip to Israel. That sounds dangerous at best. That sounds so. awesome. <laughs> That would be so much fun. <laughs> All right. Shabbat Shalom, Something to everyone. look forward to as we start we'll keep you. We'll keep you posted on our trips, our travels to Israel. Shana Tava, Gmar Chatima Tava. We'll see you Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.